Well, welcome, Tabby. It's so great to have you with me today. And thank you, as always, for all your generous interaction, and specifically in this third section, uh, to talk about issues of uh, opening our ears to how we can be more just neighbors. Uh, mm -hmm. So so um, what makes you excited about about entering into this this topic and discussing it with me? Why did you say yes when I asked you yes, to do yes, this? Absolutely. <laughs> Unequivocally, I said yes. Um, you know, of course, as you know, um, Andy, I run a global think tank that focuses on the future of work and social justice. So, you know, we are daily um, addressing these issues from the standpoint of how can we um, embrace the notion of equity of access and opportunity for individuals that sit across, you know, a broad spectrum of socioeconomic status, ethnicity, race, gender, and so forth. So this is kind of my bread and butter professionally, and certainly in the context of IPC and my faith community, I believe that so much of, of scripture is very much grounded in opening our eyes and hearts around gaining insights and access to people that are living potentially very differently than we are. And I've certainly come to understand through my work that we are all just kind of saturated with um, biases, stereotypes, prejudices, and so on. So I think part of, of a critical um, first step perhaps, which I see as, as kind of one of those fundamental building blocks of our own faith, is deepening a sense of connection and self-awareness in terms of our um, our spiritual um, north star, if you will, yeah. and and kind of engaging quite honestly and deeply in in conversation with God on a daily basis, and being very prayerful in the kinds of commitments that we believe kind of help our kind of articulate and make quite concrete to others what our our faith tradition guides us, how it guides us. Um, so that's this notion of marginality and justice and so forth is is part and parcel of that conversation. And so if I hear you correctly, Tabby, you you really sense that um, that your faith and the scriptures really inform and energize your your work in general with people oh, of a variety of different contexts, right? So absolutely. I'm thinking of like, you know, the Old Testament um, affirmation that that God is the God of the fatherless and the poor and the widow and the stranger and the orphan, right? Um, right. And those are categories of, uh, of people that are on the margins of safe, secure, certain society, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, maybe specifically with respect to gender, um, Let's just start with the assumption, <laughs> if I can back up, that women, uh, we, want to, we want to bring women in uh, to uh, have an equal seat at the table with men to run the world so that the world can flourish, right? To run the church so that the church can flourish and to lead in that way. And, um, but what is, what is like the reason behind it? Is it because um, women bring some kind of innate essential quality as women? Is there something about femininity that is, if it's missing, throws everything off? Or is it, um, is it something else? And what is, what is that, if I can ask that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's a very, you know, potent, rich question. Um, I mean, and I, I can answer In other it. words, it's a, it's a misinformed question. No, <laughs> not at all. 
<laughs> I mean, it's again, you know, kind of building on my previous comment, Andy, about mm. just the, you know, how we are, we are potentially blindsided by our mm. own perceptions and preferences, right? And and one of the very kind of startling facts in the research. So I'll, I'll start first from the lens of of this work um, in my professional realm, is that. Um, ironically enough, and surprisingly enough, there are more differences between women, among women, than between men and women. Um, so I think we do have this tendency to group people in kind of monolithic buckets. And that is extremely dangerous because fundamentally, um, we are not allowing individuals, men and women, to be individuals, right? And men and women, right, are both subject to stereotypes and assumptions and so on, which means that we um, are kind of from the get-go potentially limited out of our potential, right? We are, we are not allowed to flourish. There are so many people that um, have so much to offer and because we have put them in, as I said, into pre-existing categories, which frankly come with lots of evaluations and assessments. These are not kind of generic, um, unjudged categories. These come with all sorts of um, perceptions and assumptions that I think are, are quite extreme. I remember earlier, very early on in my career, um, I was asked to give a speech um, about some research that we had done. And there were very few women in the audience. Um, and I, you know, gave my speech and afterwards they had a lovely wine and wine and cheese gathering. And nothing that I had presented was controversial by any means. It was essentially just new approaches to performance management within the um, public and private sectors. And a young man came up to me looking profoundly agitated <laughs> to the point where I thought, my word, you know, I'll kind of prioritize his question over others because he's clearly very, very upset. And he said, does your husband let you do this kind of thing? And, you know, I looked at him and I said, you know, I haven't asked. <laughs> and I, I mean, I was so gobsmacked by that question mm -hmm. that, that my ability to stand up in front of a large audience and share interesting insights would somehow be perceived as inappropriate simply mm. because I was a woman was really just startling to me. Now, happily, we've moved along, right, over the years in terms of our receptivity to diverse perspectives and insights and experience. But um, I, I think that you know, the, in the short and sweet answer to your question is that I think we, we then limit fund, at a very fundamental level, our access to robust, um, insightful, diverse talent. Mm. And, you know, and I think that is when you have different opinions and you have the friction of um, very different points of view, the quality of the decision that comes out of that debate discussion is inevitably enriched. And I think, you know, we can also reflect on that same perspective in terms of IPC. Are we inviting not only different voices to the table, but different perspectives, different lived experience, different ambitions? And are we doing a good job of capturing that and allowing it to flourish and grow in the context of our congregation? This way. So creativity, is not a specifically gendered phenomenon. Right. 
or or a race-based or a class-based phenomenon. In other words, human beings have creativity. And so the travesty of excluding certain persons, you are um, cutting your, your, uh, your legs out from under you, creatively speaking. Yes, absolutely. Getting that right. Yes. So in other words, we are making very presumptuous, um, precipitous assessments of talent based on physically apparent differences Mm. alone, right? So for example, I've heard this countless times, right? Oh, we need a good communicator in this team. Well, let's, you know, what women do we know? So this notion that women by, you know, in and of themselves are better communicators, which is nonsense, right? Some men are very good communicators, some women are very communicators. Um, and, and that, as I said, is extremely dangerous because it preemptively um, sidetracks us and doesn't allow us to gain real access to what I consider the difference that makes the difference, right? So it, when you work with clients in the corporate world, the executive level leadership, they are charged with the, uh, the mandate to help grow the company, right? Mm-hmm. To help bring it into tomorrow better in better shape than it was today, right? And so um, analogously, if mm-hmm. we want to survive and thrive tomorrow in tomorrow's world, then we might say analogously that there are, there are things that we need to learn from to tap the, the untapped creativity of humans to help that organization thrive uh, tomorrow. Psalm 139, you know, like you formed me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, you think about me and your thoughts are, are amazing to me. There's this sense embedded in, in, our, uh, in our faith life that uh, there is something unique about each individual. Mm-hmm. And to love another human being is to go down beyond the superficial differences to help uh, access and, and see and hear and know the, uh, the uniqueness of the individual and then to allow that person to help the whole group thrive, right? And when we think about our spiritual home as a home of belonging, where there is a sense of safety, a sense of growth, a sense of vibrancy and so forth, it's, you know, what we need to do, I think, is, is really pay very explicit attention to the lived experience of our faith community. And, you know, what is the level at which people have a sense of belonging, right? And I think that that definition will vary, right, in terms of person to person. I think there is a particularity around what that source of belonging is. And is, am I part of a spiritual home where all the facets that that constitute my being, my my life, my priorities, my values, my beliefs, and so on, can kind of engage with others in a manner that allows for mutual growth and mutual understanding. I think it's a very helpful and important counterweight to that insularity that can develop in a community where you feel so comfortable and you forget that there are many, many individuals that don't feel at home. That so maybe in a way of summarizing that is um, with respect to people's individual stories of both beauty and brokenness, uh, no news is not good news. Yes, the, not exactly. <laughs> we, exactly. As a community, it's our job to draw the stories, the experiences, 
the heartbreak as well as the the joys and triumphs of people's stories out so that we can uh, meet them where they are, love them as they are. And, uh, and I, I suppose that that just the hearing of those stories alone enriches our whole experience. Absolutely, without yeah. question. I'm, I'm a big fan um, of storytelling um, yeah. as a wonderful way to um, firmly but gently invite people into our lives, right? And, and in that sharing of, of compassion, generosity, that is the, the thriving of the community. Yes. Yes, That's absolutely. not a distraction from it or a, a perk alongside of it, but it is, in fact, the thriving. Yeah? Yes, yes, yes. So I am a, um, I'm now a middle-aged, apparently, white American male pastor, <laughs> right? And I work in a space that, even though this is changing, has, has for a long, long time been generally um, reserved for and at least dominated by uh, men. Um, if there, if you were to summarize just a handful of things that you would hope that I would know about how to make women particularly um, able to thrive in a church community, whether they are being welcomed from the outside or whether they're already on the inside, what is your challenge to me as a, a male pastor um, mm -hmm. to be a blessing to and a welcoming uh, pastor to the women in our midst and the potential women that might come into our midst? Right, right. Well, there is this funny term in psychology called conscious incompetence. <laughs> and I, so I think the kind of acknowledging that we are always confident there's something to learn and to adopt kind of the posture of a learner. And so that, that would be number one. Number two is I am a huge fan of questions um, insofar as Questions give people the opportunity to provide an answer and for us to thereby learn or perhaps to challenge some of our assumptions and so on. I find that we are all so disposed to being judgers rather than learners. I just think it's a safe premise to assume that we don't know people's full stories, right? And, and that we, we are always going to be operating on the basis of either incomplete information or distorted information, or kind of a willing, kind of a, a willing blindness, perhaps simply because we love the notion of control and we love the notion of thinking we know what we're talking about and so on. So I think if we can peel away all of those presuppositions, we're going to be on safer ground. I really do think it's tied to being curious and asking questions and having a desire to learn, not to judge. You tell me if if this is uh, resonant with with you, but when, as you're talking about this, I'm reminded of somebody who said that usually we walk into a room and we feel the burden to be interesting, mm. but the real challenge is to walk into a room and be interested. Yes, and okay. that that is what um, that's the curiosity you're talking about. And so for somebody like me, whose, whose job it is to get behind a big wooden box and, uh, and do a monologue once a week and then <laughs> teaching and stuff on top of that, where, you know, I had better bring something that's interesting, right? Like I feel this pressure to be interesting all the time. I guess one of my takeaways from what you're saying is um, in those spaces where 
Pastor Andy is not behind a wooden box giving monologues, trying to be interesting. I need to do a lot of, of conversations like this where I am interested in the story of people who are different than me. Yes, yes. And, you know, and I think there are two, two things that come to mind listening to your response. You know, to be interested is interesting, right? Yeah. So there, there, is, there is a connection there. And I do think that um, just continuing to get to know people, right? Because it, you know, building, you know, trust and connection with people obviously takes time. And, you know, and I don't think, you know, it's in some respects, it really is, I think, a commitment. It's a discipline. It's a, it's a, you know, a journey of humility and curiosity and so on. And, you know, and I, I would, I would just hope everyone could see, and I think we all try to experience that, right? That sense of joy. I mean, I love Wendell Berry's comment, you know, be joyful though you have considered all the facts, right? <laughs> so, and, you know, and I, you know, that notion of, of stay with your joy and, and stay with the, just the amazing, um, just the gift of this life, right? And, and the opportunity to fully explore God's creation and to realize what how blessed we are every moment and and to you know express that gratitude for people's differences and for the complexity of their lives and the particularity of their lives right that is that is just such a treasure and i think you know our faith gives us so much insight about how to do that um you know effectively and lovingly and and graciously so i i think it's a wonderful opportunity for us at ipc to to travel that road, right? Um, but to stay the course, right? And and not not get indifferent or um, you know bored or derailed, um, et cetera. But to to stay that course. I've got one more question for you. So we sure. framed this whole session uh, Saturday morning on under the term justice, right? And I know that's a precious word to you. Mm -hmm we also know that God is a God of justice uh, and that's what motivates our pursuit of justice. Justice. How is it just to listen to the story of another and make a connection with them? Because that's been my career, right? The journey mm -hmm. I've been on, I would never presume to be an expert. In fact, I, I think that's actually a really dangerous word, right? Right. The minute we think we've kind of come to the end of the assessment or the end of the research, or we, we kind of feel we've kind of got the answer. That's actually when the journey should start, right? I mean, that's when we should take some of these, these perspectives as working hypotheses. Let me try to understand that more. Let me try to, what could be going on here? So that notion of evocation and mystery and so on, I, I, I absolutely live in that place because I, I do believe that there's always more than meets the eye, and we have to be prepared to, um, to you know, take a step forward into that mystery. As I said, with huge amount of humility, to recognize that you know we may not, in all cases, get the get the whole story. Mm -hmm. We may not. We are undoubtedly bound by our own human limitations and so on. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why we we pray and why we invite God to to bring and expand and enlarge our our understanding and and so forth because I think we we are flawed um, human beings and I, I think it's a, it's an important place for us to to be reminded of it seems like 
a takeaway here is that if we want to be the kind of community where people on the outside sense that their stories will be heard, valued, and that their creativity will be given voice and given uh, the opportunity to thrive, then we need to we need to also start with the people we even have already in the room, the people in yes. our own family, and become yes. much better listeners, much more curious, much more in tune to the stories that people carry, and and help them uh, help them have opportunities to help us all thrive together. Yes, yes. Until we have either deeply engaged with otherness, whether it be our own or our families or people that we know. And even more rich and diverse that that kind of that landscape of otherness that we're living with, the more empathy we have, the more we will see, the more we will understand, and the more we will be capable of enacting justice, right? Because we will take on a whole range of perspectives that are not simply based on our own egos or our own lives. But we will, with generous hearts, say, you know what? I think we may have forgotten this point of view. It just strikes me, Tabby, that um, the kind of awareness and attunement to the fragilities, the, the beauties and brokennesses that people carry with them is, is just another way of saying we're trying to learn to imitate God. We're trying to learn to imitate the Lord Jesus, who... Um, was so determined to know our frailty from the inside out that he be, that God became in Jesus a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and suffering, mm-hmm. um, so that he could, the writer of Hebrews says, so that he could sympathize with our weakness and then advocate for us with his heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty deep stuff. And, um, and it, it occurs to me that, that that is a good way of saying that the work of of learning to listen with the ears of justice is just another way of saying uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. This has been such a thrill, Tabby. I've learned so much. I wish we could keep oh, going. No, thank you. <laughs> the questions were great. Right. And uh, I felt like I got a chance to be interested instead of just being <laughs> interesting. So it was a joy to me. So.